You're listening to the Palmetto Report. I'm Riley Burton, and today we're joined by Dr. Shelley Hamill, Master Certified Health Education Specialist and a health education professor here at Winthrop. Dr. Hamill, thank you for joining us. Thank you for asking. Of course. So we're just going to get right into it. Can you give us your definition of what health education is? Health education, if you think about it, we get caught up a lot in dealing with content. It's like, okay, tell me information about this and tell me information about that. But what health education really is, as we see it in this state, actually, for what we're doing in our schools, it's eight standards. First standard is about content, but every other standard is skill. We teach you things like goal setting, decision making, making sure that the resources that you're looking at for information are valid and reliable, communication, being able to stand up for yourself. All of those standards are built around skills. So it's, it's a pretty broad brush, right? And it covers so many areas. When we talk health education, we typically say that there are six areas of risk behaviors, you know, sex and drugs and the, the, the usual stuff, diet, lack of activity, lack of physical activity, those kinds of things. But there are also 10 content areas. So weaving all of those together while doing skills-based along the way and, and providing the opportunity for content, there's a lot that goes into what health education is. Why should college students care about health education? Where to begin? Well, first of all, the real simple thing is college students don't want to get sick, bottom line. Okay, well, how do, how do I avoid getting sick? And, you know, there's some real basic stuff. I laugh, and one of the things I talk about in class is, okay, flu's going around, cold's going around, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? Wash your hands. We teach folks that in kindergarten. And I, I always use the example when we're in class, it's like, okay, at that desk you've been sitting at, who was there before you? Did they have a cold? Did they have the flu? When's the last time that desk was washed? Did you touch the handrail coming up? I mean, that's that's the basic stuff. That's just the, the germaphobe trying to not pick up one of those things. But, but there's so much more. I mean, what about diet? We talk about the freshman 15. Is that inevitable? No. Okay, well, what about the choices around eating? Uh, what about being active? What about stress management? What about... If you choose to be sexually active, what, what about protection? What do you know about your part? I mean, there's, there's just so much. So there's a lot of reasons college students need to be mindful. I am a professor, so I should say not to mention, if you do get sick, it impacts going to class, which then impacts your grades, which may impact your scholarships or, I don't know, graduating on time. So, yes, there are many reasons. So what courses would you recommend they take. Yes. Well, I have to be honest, I'm a little biased, is that mm -hmm. I am the uh, advisor for the health minor, mm -hmm. and I typically teach most of the 500-level classes. I would tell students to check in the very first class that you really should take is a personal health class. It's Health 300, uh, Personal and Community Health, and yes, literally, I wrote the book uh, that we <laughs> use here at Winthrop, uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Joni Boyd and I do. Uh, and it's a book that's, you know, used around the country or at least offered so that it could be. Foundation of personal and community health is it's all about you. So you learn, hopefully, the skill set and you gain the information so that you can make wise choices for you. Then if there have been things that stood out to you, maybe it's the chapter on nutrition that you really enjoyed or maybe it's the chapter on drugs and you go, huh. Then we have, there are multiple courses that the university offers to, to tag into. Obviously, everybody knows nutrition courses, especially the beginning ones. But then in this department, we offer Health 500, which is contemporary health, which looks at global issues across. It's not just the personal health focus. It's the big issues now. Um, we offer the substance abuse class. 
Uh, obviously, it's about drugs. Then we offer human sexuality, which, of course, is always fun, uh, and looking at all the communication aspects and relationships and all uh, sex. So, and then lastly, again, within this department at the undergraduate level, we offer women's health, which is, again, specifically focusing on women's health, challenges, opportunities, and it incorporates a whole lot of differing activities for students to be able to build their own confidence, resilience, etc. So graduate level here, we also in this department offer a graduate level health promotion class, which again is kind of a holistic piece and looks at program planning and implementation and funding. Kind of going off of that, what resources do you know about for on and off campus? Well, the obvious one is, of course, depending on what stage, you're talking about primary prevention, secondary, or tertiary, right? So it depends on where you are in the process. If you're focusing on primary prevention, then I'll tell students, get active. Utilize the West Center. Utilize the walking trail up at Cherry Park or go out and walk around the, the Coliseum area, around the lake. I mean, get active. That along with eating properly, getting a good night's sleep, reducing stress, all of those things as far as primary prevention will help avoid a problem, ideally. If you're dealing with tertiary and then you're having to, I'm sick, right, well, health and counseling service. And depending on you know what that sick is, because again, kind of a broad brush, if you're needing medication and a medical doctor, they have that. If you're needing something to deal with anxiety and stress, obviously we have the counseling center. If you're needing something that's dealing with perhaps some traumatic event that may have occurred, then we have our victim's advocate, depending on where those things fall. So Winthrop offers a lot of resources in that. And then if you're looking at just a maintenance piece, we've dealt with this, we've dealt with this, now we need to, to kind of maintain and, and keep that under observation, then again, the Health and Counseling Center is going to be, you know, the best resource here. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the Health and Counseling Center, mm -hmm. um, recently they told Winthrop students that they're doing the free testing from Affinity Health. So to go more into that, can you explain HIV and STI and what students should know about them? Well, the very first thing that I typically teach in my human sexuality class is if you are not mature enough to talk about your partner's status or using protection, then you're not mature enough to be engaging in sexual activity with your partner. Sexual orientation has absolutely nothing to do with any of that. All it changes is what barrier protection that you're going to use. STI, sexually transmitted infection. Used to be STDs. Before that, it was venereal disease. But STI is, is truly what it is. It is an infection. And students need to know if they're going to be sexually active. And that's a broad brush about sexual activity. You know, so often, I guess you can say this on a podcast, so often we get caught up in thinking about vaginal penal penetration as being sex or penal anal penetration as being sex. But there's so many varieties within there, again, depending on activity, depending on orientation. So making sure that whatever you're engaging in, that again, you're using protection to avoid contracting a possible pathogen. That's a conversation that you and your partner need to have before that's happening. I know we like to trust our partners, but people don't always tell the truth. So in HIV, granted, we do not, it's not nearly as common as STIs. I mean, there are over 20 million, hear that, 20 million new STI infections every year just in this country alone. HIV, the numbers are not that high. We're running 40, 50,000, depending on which you know, data sets you're looking at. Still, uh, it is not a pathogen that you want to pick up. It is a virus, obviously. As many of the, the STIs are viral, some are bacterial, some are parasitic. I mean, so there are differing levels where things fall within there. But HIV, human immunovirus, which 
over time, because there is no cure, over time will lead to AIDS, acquired immune deficiency syndrome, because you have contracted this virus. I did read that. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, it said that South Carolina has the highest rates in the country for HIV for adults between ages 20 to 24. Do you think that that could be changed? And if so, how? Oh, I'm always the optimist. Of course, <laughs> of course it could be changed. I think in part, education is a huge component. Are we doing a good enough job in our schools educating students in middle school and high school about HIV? My answer would be no. In spite of the fact that there are the standards that say this is what's supposed to be happening, unless you reinforce those standards and people are held accountable for what's being taught, then no. When's the last time anybody actually, other than college, anybody actually has talked about HIV out in the schools? You don't see a whole lot about it on media, though we are seeing a few more things based on some of the new preventatives to prevent people from getting HIV if, in fact, they're engaging in risky behaviors. So there now are medications that can help people prior to exposure, right? And then there's one even for post-exposure. And people go, okay, so no, no big deal anymore with HIV because, you know, it's being treated with medication to keep it down, and then there's stuff that can keep us from actually contracting it, or if by some possible chance we think we might have contracted it, then there's this medication that can help. But what people don't get is all that costs money. And you're talking somewhere on average between $800 and $1,000 a month. How many people have that? So... We can't treat it as a chronic disease. We have to treat it as a pathogen we really don't want while respecting the fact that if somebody has contracted the virus, um, there are lots of support systems and they can live a long, healthy life. But we also want to note that it's probably not a pathogen we want. Therefore, using protection, understanding your partner's status. I mean, all of those things are so important and questions that students need to know and ask. And if you aren't mature enough to talk about it, you're not mature enough to be doing it. Mm -hmm. So do you believe that there's a stigma and misconceptions behind having HIV or STI? Well, think about it. If I ask a question in a classroom and I say, how many of you have had a cold or flu? Raise your hand. There they are. Probably everybody in the class. But if I ask that same question, how many of you have had or currently have an STI or have become infected with HIV? That's not going to happen, mm -mm. <laughs> which is why I use the, the bead box in my class to get answers anonymously so that nobody is exposed or put at risk. The, the problem with that, particularly with STIs, because they're so common, 20 million a year, is that, again, people won't talk about them. You know, we get this thing in our mind that says, okay, somebody who has an STI or HIV, they are them, they are that. And we get this image of what them or that is, which is totally bogus. You have no idea what somebody with any of these pathogens looks like. It's, it's not about that. There's no discrimination. It's simply about coming in contact with somebody that has the pathogen, and now you have contracted it through whatever means that may be. And, of course, obviously not all of them necessarily are through sex. But anytime I think you talk about sex, automatically people get a little, huh, you know, don't want, don't want to talk about that, don't, don't want to be there. Uh, anytime you talk about any kind of pathogen that you may have contracted sexually, well, oh, not just no, but hell no, we're not going to talk about that. That's just, that's just the way it works. And what I highly encourage my students to do is to view any of those as what they are. They're pathogens. It's a bacteria. It's a virus. It's a parasite. It's no different than the cold or the flu, other than how you contract it. 
And if you happen to get a viral one, uh, let's say herpes, for example, which may be sexual, may not, but let's say you happen to pick up herpes, well, just remember it's yours for life. So another reason why you really want to be mindful of the behaviors, the protections, and the communication with your partner. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Dr. Hamill, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your insight. That was Dr. Shelley Hamill, Master Certified Health Specialist and Winthrop Professor, talking about health education and STI testing. Thank you so much again. Thank you. You're listening to the Palmetto Report. I'm Riley Burton.